father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, how are you? Welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is episode 134. Today we have Coach Robert Cochran. He's the head girls basketball coach at Winsboro High School in Winsboro, Texas. Coach Robert Cochran was named head coach of the Winsboro Lady Raiders basketball program in April of 2019. He is a native Texan who grew up in Texarkana, where he graduated from Liberty Elow High School, lettering in both basketball and baseball. He attended Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas, where he served as an equipment manager for both the men's basketball and football teams. In the spring of 1996, Coach Conklin received his Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology with a specialization in sport management. After graduation from Texas A&M, Coach Cochran worked for the Texas Rangers Baseball Club as an equipment manager and clubhouse attendant. He then moved back to Texarkana to begin his coaching career at his alma mater. Liberty Elow, he worked at Liberty Elow for 17 years, coaching both football and softball and taking over the girls' basketball team following his second year. Coach Cochran was part of two football state championships at Liberty Elow. 1999 and 2006. He later earned this title of girls athletics coordinator at Liberty Elow, overseeing a stretch that saw three consecutive team state championships in track and a state final appearance in softball. In his 15 years as a girls basketball head coach at Liberty Elow, his teams won 12 district championships, made 12 regional tournament appearances, and reached the state tournament three times, culminating in a state championship in 2010. In the spring of 2013, Coach Cochran accepted the girls athletics coordinator and head girls basketball position at Texas High School in Texarkana. During his three years at Texas High, his teams won back-to-back district championships for the first time in the school's history. In his first season at Winsboro, his team reached the state tournament. Coach Cochran's overall record is 523-171, and with a career playoff record of 60-20. and His basketball teams have reached the playoffs in all 21 of his years as a head coach. His teams have accumulated 14 district championships and four regional championships to go along with a 2010 state championship. Coach Cochran was named the Texarkana Gazette Northeast Texas Southwest Arkansas Coach of the Year four times and has 14 district Coach of the Year honors to his credit. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Robert Cochran. Hey, sorry about that. No problem at all, Coach. Hey. hey, hey, remind me of the five. I don't know. I don't remember the order. Remind me of the five things I sent you, and we can pick up from there. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the, uh, you know, the uh, Coach Cochran's top five program strengths. Um, uh, the first one he put down was as depth and numbers of quality right. players. Um, you were talking about the transition part is very important part of your program. Um, 
And then after that, everyone can shoot the three. Uh, pressure offense, defense, pressing on misses. And then you talk about having really good post play. Right. Okay. We can pick up from there. Uh, the, the, I've always been a big believer in trying to develop depth in numbers. And we did, it took a while to do that when I was at Liberty Idol, the first place I coached because we were so far behind. Like I said, when I first got started there, we had one great player, but we didn't have very much around it as far as in good quality play. And uh, where I coach now is Winsboro. And that first year I coached, we played Winsboro in the third round of the playoffs. Back in 1999, they had a young lady by the name of Stacy Stevens that went on to play in the WNBA, was an All-American player at Texas. And they beat us 103-39, to 39, Coach. And <laughs> sure. They, they put – every kid they put on the floor could play. In addition to having a couple of college players, every player could shoot. Mm-hmm. And that coach's name was Buddy Hawkins. And at the end of their game, we go to shake hands, and he's – Coach, I'm sorry, the score, we're trying to – I said, Coach, you don't have to apologize for anything. I just want one thing in return. Let me come watch you practice. And and he, of course, said yes. And after they won a state championship, I came and watched him practice and and how he set up his program. And literally, it's, it's come full circle because now I'm here at Winsboro and I'm here because basically everything I did in coaching at the high school level as far as program set up and how I tried to adapt how I wanted to play like Arkansas on defense, a little about on offense and have kids that can shoot. Coach Hawkins had done basically all those things at the high school level. He was a pressing team, played in transition, could shoot, and he had good post players. Stacey Stevens, like I said, goes to the WNBA. And I go and visit with him and learn about how he did all those different things and uh, here at Winsboro. And so I took all that and I tried – the first thing I did at Liberty Island was try – I knew we had to get multiple kids to play and to really have good depth. And one way we go about doing that, I've done it for the last 16, 17 years now, and I do it here to this day at Winsboro. Most people don't believe them when you tell them, but we script our playing time. So when I go into a game, we play off a script, and we call it a rotation, and we play the same way in practice. So the first – I've got it now where the first three quarters and to the five-minute mark of the fourth are all scripted. Kids know when they know who's playing when and – and I know it's really bizarre. And people, when they first hear it, they're like, there's no way you do this. And that's crazy. And it's stupid. And it's this and that. But what it made me do initially, Liberty Island, we didn't have eight or nine kids that could play, but it made me play eight or nine kids. And what I quit doing is I didn't get to game 18 of the season. And now we're playing at that, we're playing a district team somewhere and we're on the road. And for the first time all year, We've got three kids with all this foul trouble, and I look up, and there's five minutes to go in the game, and I've got a combination of kids on the court because of foul trouble and whatever other reason that are playing together that have probably never practiced together. And it avoids that, but also what I did is learned if I'm getting these kids playing time and they know from where to go they're going to play and I have experience for them, they grow into their roles – we get into game 18, these kids are a whole lot better versus if I just play every game out and we're up. If you play games that are relatively close, you're going to play your top six, seven kids. You never develop depth. Those other kids only play when you need to steal a minute or two or if somebody's in foul trouble. They really don't play. And You look up and you, at the end of the year, you still got your starting five and you have maybe one or two kids you can trust. What I learned that if we played these eight or nine, ten kids and we played them on rotation, we were able to play faster play really pressure defense, push the ball in transition constantly because we never got tired. But at the same time, those kids were getting 12, 13 minutes a game. They were getting true quality time, and they developed. And you look up, 
over the, after we've been doing this two or three years. And now we have nine or 10 kids that can play and we don't put a kid on the court that can't really play at the same time. We practice that way with those different rotations. When we actually scrimmage that this group plays, they play with the same groups they're going to play with in the game. And that, that helps tremendously when you're going to press, when you're going to play in transition, whether you're doing a numbered break or you're doing secondary break concepts, when you're pressing, pressing on misses, kids adapt and they know where each other fit in those different roles. So that was the biggest thing I learned on developing depth. If you're going to, you got to have a bunch of kids that can play and the way you go about doing, doing that is to, to play them, to play them all from the start. When I say play them all, you obviously have to determine in your program, you got to get your best eight or nine players. Uh, but we do. I'm, I like this year is my first year at Winsboro, but we played off a rotation of nine kids to start with. And, at the end of the year, we got to the playoffs and state tournament. We are playing 10, and every one of those kids got at least 10 minutes a game. Obviously, our best two or three players got 24 to 26 minutes a game. But like I said, we every game we played, we pressed. We played in transition. We pressed on misses. So I, I've only had two kids in probably 23 years that could play 32 minutes playing that playing that way. So that that's the big strength we have here in Winsboro is, is the number of kids we play because you, you probably know – coaching the hardest thing you find is being able to practice and here right. we're able to practice because it's not our best five against a bunch of people that can't play we actually have very competitive practices because the other five over there they get to play they're <coughs> excuse me <coughs> but we have quality kids over there and we make practices as competitive as possible and they are competitive because we have so many different kids that can play and in turn, the the thing, and, and I knew this was important. Probably I started to learn the importance 12, 15 years ago. Obviously, being a fan of Little Marymount, I knew threes were important. At Liberty Island, we were never very good at shooting the three. I would have individual kids that were good at shooting the three. And, and I knew that was important, but I didn't have the team that could shoot the threes. Well, that kind of evolved. We started working more and more on shooting at a younger age. And the last seven or eight years, I was at Liberty Island. We got where we could shoot the ball. Same thing at Texas High. And Longview here at Winsboro, it's something they've been known for. And basically, every kid we put on the floor, they can, they can shoot the three. Uh, our post our post kid didn't take any threes this year because she's 6'1", and she averaged 20 points a game. And and 85% of her shots come, you know, from the block or the rim area. You know, she can shoot the elbow jumper and all that, but there's really no need to uh, for her to shoot the three. Now, I can tell you in the last eight weeks of the season, she goes through shooting drills that we do, and she shoots the three, and it's – She's real close to being able to get the. If you're familiar with Mike Neighbors' green light shooting, she's real close mm-hmm. to getting yeah. uh, the green light where she's going to be able to be six one and play at the basket. Or if you want to have somebody that just they want to double team and stand around the basket, she's going to be able to stretch people out. And I think that you're going to see her evolve in that way. But I think it's very important in today's game if you put a kid on the court if they can shoot the three, uh, it, it just brings so much more to your team offense. Not just that player individually, but your team offense having the ability to, to shoot the three and because it builds into the one thing we talked about we have is good post play it's hard to have good post play you can have very good post players i don't care how good they are if they've got two and three people stuck front behind them and around them coming to double them it's hard to see good overall post play and you got to be able to knock a three you know some threes down or smart coaches are going to say i'm not going to guard people out there and i'm going to take away this person that scores 20 points versus somebody that just stands at the three-point line and shoots and misses. 
so I, I think that's very important. Those are three of the concepts. And then the, the thing that I have the most fun with that I think wins us the most games, as, as aside from having good players, number one, that, that goes without saying. But pressure, offense and pressure defense. And I think people are familiar with pressure defense. We, Wherever I've coached, we've, we've played that way. I just That's the growing up watching Nolan Richardson play and his teams play. And, and, and I thought it was the, – the irony is Coach Buddy Hawkins here at Winsboro, they were doing it 20 years ago. And Winsboro's never going to be accused of winning, you know, a bunch of track meets or having the, the fastest teams. But I think people, you know, really have a false notion that you have to be extremely fast or you have to be superior athletic to press people. Uh, and that's something we really embraced here this year at Winsboro, and we got better and better as the year went, and something they got away from in the nine years he's been gone. They would press, but it was more very, very soft. Uh, it was always zone pressures and really not hard traps, and we got back into really trying to pressure the ball, close out, force people to put it on the floor, and then get them to put their head down and trap the ball and really be pressure defense. But I think – in doing that, you can really make it doubly tough on people if you turn around and you turn people over. If you get you get them playing fast in transition, taking mid range shots to get the ball, and then pressure offense. And I don't think that's a term that's used a lot, but uh, my experience playing the and I don't know about you, coach, but the the best teams you usually play throughout the course of a year have one common denominator, and most of them are they're really really good in the half court at playing defense. Right, right, so, for sure. So the one thing that I've taken away in the last 20 years and I did it in girl the, initially why I did it in girls basketball is this and you'll find it funny we called it a centering pass and people in Texas aren't familiar with what a centering pass it's more of a hockey term and in in the north northeast you're probably familiar with the centering pass when we start when I started coaching at Liberty Island we had one kid that could play but outside of that the, the cover was pretty bare and I started to figure out if we made four or five passes if we made over four passes in a possession Half the time, that possession ended in a turnover instead of a shot. Good so point. We, yeah. we were going to make shots. We were going to shoot the ball or at least center it toward the basket where we could offensive rebound it. And I started to learn two things. We didn't shoot the ball very well, but, boy, the faster we played and took shots before the defense got set, it was amazing. Our point I've always been a points-per-possession guy. Our points-per-possession were so much better the faster we shot the ball. And the other thing that was so much better was our offensive rebound percentage was so much higher in shorter possessions. And then it also coincided with taking threes. And that's one thing. I, we're much better now at the different places I've been. We don't have to shoot the ball fast because we can't handle it. But I've still learned the best teams we're going to play, whether it was like we played how. I know you, you've talked with, you know, you talked about Munster. You talked about Coach Payne's team at Grape. And they're all superior teams in the half court. And I think the best way to attack them is get shots in transition before their defense is set. Mm -hmm. uh, and I see so many coaches that are scared. You talked about having the confidence to go in and watch other teams practice or go approach other coaches. I think in today's coaching world, still the number one thing I see, even among what I would say good coaches and why some have a hard time getting over the hump to the next level, is they're afraid to take quick shots in transition because it, quote, unquote, it looks bad. And they don't get to show you. They're able to pull the ball out and run a set and call a play and have five – set three screens, five passes to still get a 17-foot shot from maybe the third best player. Well, if our best two players get a shot from within 
you know, in, in the paint. We don't want to take mid-range shots. We want all paint shots or all threes. But the faster we can get that done, that's what our, our goal is. We're not we're not trying to have a battle to see how much offense we can run. You know, do we have the ability to do that? Sure. Do you have to be able to do that at times? Obviously. But I think in today's game, the number one thing at the high school level that goes underutilized is transition offense, pressure offense, and getting shots in transition. And that's something we take pride in. And, and obviously with each round you go into playoffs, it gets harder to do that. Right, but for it's sure. not impossible. And you know what still lines up and coincides even in our playoff games and even at the state tournament? I went back and looked at it. The shorter possession where we get the ball out in transition, get the ball ahead and get people playing behind on defense, uh, we were much we were much better. And we had a bad third quarter in our state semifinal game this year. And uh we probably had an eight point lead at halftime. We started playing get safe more, we started pulling the ball back out. Uh, they were able to crowd our post player better. Threes got harder to make. Then layups got harder to make. And you look up, and we're kind of playing in how somebody else would want us to play. And everything is come down, set it up, run a set or run – you know, we run a lot of motion. And not that that's all bad, but, boy, when you're struggling to score and that team's pretty good in the half court on defense, it gets harder and harder. And that's the number one thing I think goes underutilized, and it's one of the top five components of our program is – you know, pressure defense, but also turn around and trying to play pressure offense. Hey, Coach. Coach, you there? I am, Robert. I got that, okay. yeah. Um, hey, hey, I really want you to get into um, – I know you can't get into all five of those in more, in more detail, but I really want to talk about – because I'm looking at your top five and we really believe in those twos. We, we actually have it a little bit differently, but we're a running team. And actually this year, we're going to be even more explosive. You mentioned a good point in state tournament. What I find out is, is girls sometimes, even if you're a running team, they slow down in like tight games. And what I mean by that is instead of running my two to the, like really sprinting to the corner, they're going almost half speed. They don't realize it. I think the bottom line, I think it's harder. I think it's hard to be a great running team. And we always talk about, man, just uh, we, we, you know, we talk about four seconds, four second spots, get to your spots in four seconds constantly. And man, that's, that's hard to teach, isn't it? It is. It is hard to teach. And and one thing, I I guess it's a good thing and a bad thing. It was bad for us this year in in this respect. We didn't have a, we had no state tournament experience, but, you know, we had a team with only two seniors, but uh, eight of our top ten players were freshmen or sophomores uh, off this year's team. And uh, you can say what you want as a coach. I, you know, I had the experience of coaching in state tournament. I've had the experience in playing in a bunch of big games. These kids haven't. These kid, this program hasn't been to a state tournament in nine years. And and we got there in the, in, in the first half. It it really wasn't an issue or problem. We still didn't shoot the ball well in the first half, but we played well. In the, in the third quarter specifically, we didn't play well and we didn't shoot well. Now, a lot of that has to do with, obviously, when you get to the state tournament, you're playing teams that are good. But what my experience, when I've had success in those situations at the state tournament, it's we play faster, we play more loose, and that's kind of how we embrace the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I, I told our kids going into right. our first playoff game, I said, let me explain to you how this works. I said, when you get to the playoffs, everybody thinks the games are more important. They're no more important to me, and I don't think they're any more important to y'all. Y'all want to win every game we play. I said, but I tell you all that because what people do, coaches, number one coach different. 
they play fewer possession games. They, everything's more important. They slow down. They don't want to take as quick a shot. I said, we're going to overemphasize early in the games. If you're open, shoot it. I'll, I'll take bad shots early to create the pace and the tempo and for us to play free and loose versus getting hesitant, getting tight, and you look up and we're halfway through the first quarter and it's four to two with three minutes to go. And it, you just look into – you look up and you end up in one of those 35-33 games. I didn't want any part of that. And I can t- I can tell you this, Kevin. Our our playoff games, uh, we started we started our first playoff game eighteen zero. Our second playoff game uh, was forty seven seven half. Our third playoff game was twenty two to two after our first quarter. Even our regional our regional semifinal, which I thought was we played against a Minnesota team that I thought was the probably the either best team or second best team we played all year. Even over our state semifinal team, we just played at a high level for a long time. We got off to a 12-0 start in that, and it came from three threes and a, a two-point making and one. And with six minutes to go, we're up 12-0. And you're talking about the first four playoff games. I mean, it was – you know, those kids really bought in, and we did. I, I've right. always tried to play free and loose. And then the, the big thing is when you get to the third quarter of playoff games, especially state tournament, you got bigger crowds. Everything's bigger. Continue to play free and loose. And that's where I probably did a poor job. Uh, team we played made a very good, you know, had the first two minutes of a third quarter that was pretty good, and we're still up two or three. And I probably should have gave them that speech of, hey, right here for the next three minutes, we're about to play as free and as loose as possible. Get out, get the ball in transition, drag screens, kick it out, get shots up, play in transition, uh, you know, play inside out, get the ball to our post player. And for whatever reason, you know, things get away from me. And, and number one, we're bad as coaches. I got to take our hat off to the other team. They were over there trying and playing too, and they played much better in the second half. But you're, you're right. It's so much harder with each level you play, and you get to a state tournament to play fast, to be one of those teams that run. And that's something I think will evolve, and we'll be having the experience will be better. And I think they see uh, to play at that kind of speed and the pace that you want to, it is. It's much harder to play at that speed as you advance, but I hear so many coaches and good coaches give the lazy answer of, I, that just doesn't work when you get to regional tournament. It doesn't work when you get to state tournament. Well, I know for sure, Winsboro, I go into a gym every day that's got uh, three state championship banners back to back to back, and they played in six other state championship games. So that right there tells me, well, no, it works. And then I have the experience of winning one my, myself with the team, and we scored 70 points, which in a high school girls game, that's a lot of points. Our final, That's a lot of points. It was yeah. 70 to 68. Uh, in other state tournament, I think the least amount of points until this year we'd scored in a state tournament game was 60-something points. Well, that, I think that's proof it works. I think what it is, it is much harder to uh, to play at that pace, to keep it, to maintain it, and to get, other, to get another good team to play at that pace. I do agree with that, but you'll never convince me that and, and the re- other reason, and we didn't get into this much, but talking about playing fast, the other reason I choose to pressure defense, scramble, press on misses, and then play this way offensively is because I truly believe uh, every team we play on our schedule, they're not going to play another team that plays like us. So we get harder one to scout. We get harder two to prepare for. In playoff games, regional tournaments, state tournament games, you usually have a one-day turnaround. You play on a Friday, you turn around play on Saturday. Coaches, a, a lot of good coaches hate that they don't, they don't get to go to their scouting report. They don't get to do 20 walkthroughs. They don't get to have two practices. And they're about to have to practice against a scramble defense, pressing on misses, come and play offense where we either run 
motion where I can't tell you where we're screening or where we're curling or we ball screening or what are we doing and playing in transition. I think it makes it so hard for people to prepare and it's so different. I just think it's a built-in advantage and it's worth several points. And that's another reason why I've always chose to play this way. And, but I, I think your number one point, yes, as you get to a state tournament, is it harder to play that way, harder to get a team to play that way? Yes, but when you're very good at it and you can do it, I think it keeps you from letting a team that's that you're better than it, it keeps it avoids you having a big upset because you you and I both know you get in low possession games you kind of you keep that other team where they hang around and you look up three minutes ago they can bank a shot in or you get one person in foul trouble and you end up and you're like how did we we're better than them how do we lose to them well probably because you had a forty to forty five possession game instead of a sixty five to seventy possession game. Yeah, and what you're saying is do what you do, no matter what. I mean, because the bottom line is you can't control whether you're going to make those shots. You want to get – well, our big stat for us coaches, we want more shots than our opponent. Particularly, we want plus 20. So we're out there taking a lot of shots. And, you know, Coach, we've had games where we've gone, you know, 10 for 30 from the three-point line, which is pretty pretty good, or 12 for 30. And then we have games where we go five for 30. That a and I accept that because we're getting more shots than the opponent. Sometimes the ball doesn't go in. Coach, talk about your offense. I want you to take your transition offense, and I want you to teach us how you run your break and give us some good drills for that so the coaches can really learn what you guys do at Winsboro. Well, what we've done is actually I have merged. I say merged. It's more of what Mike Neighbors does at Arkansas now compared to Paul West said for years our, our break was the Lola Marymount break. And I, I think Coach Neighbors would tell you he's studied a lot of what Paul Westhead did. And But we actually we call our, our spots here are called locks. We run to the lock. And so it'd be really easy for me to teach you if you put uh, Arkansas film in or Mike Neighbors film. A lot of it is what <laughs> sure. he does. Now, what is different is what he calls uh, his rabbit, we call our chief. We're the Lady Raiders here. Our, our boys' side is the Red Raiders with a, a you know, a, our mascot is an Indian, so we try to go along with the theme of of that. So our instead of a rabbit, we call it a chief, and our chief obviously is, and we call a chief. If you would, if you see her, you would recognize she is six one, six two, and she is a big, strong kid. Uh, and she can rim run. That's not going to be her strength. Uh, she can. She's an old school post player and play with her back to the basket, score off her right shoulder, left shoulder. So we're going to run to those lock spots, and then we're going to have our rim runner actually be our our what we call chief now what our raider would be coach neighbors dragon uh, and of course your point guard or the person that really pushes the ball his racker and we call it our engine so engine of the motor it's what makes us go so we have all those spots labeled and the locks run if the right side would be the two the left side would be the three that if you go into the number okay. break and what coach coach neighbors does he has numbers for his kids but he know they're and he said he, he came with this terminology because it helped in recruiting. And instead of calling people guards and forwards and, you know, the taboo word post, because some parents don't want their kids to be post players and then some kids don't want to be called post. And when you get in a recruiting game, you know, if you refer to some kids as post, it means they don't ever get to handle the ball. So get harder to recruit. He said it made, much, <clears throat> made it much more easier for him to recruit with some of this terminology. So – uh, same thing with us. Even, Coach, what does your Raider do? What does your Raider do again? The Raider Explain is the, that. the person that trails. If you're in the old Lola break, trails, he would trails. have a trail. Okay. All right. But the Raider okay. is going to trail. And and it's somebody that can either shoot the three, but they can also, if you've seen Chelsea Dungy at Arkansas, 
she can really shoot the ball from the perimeter. She is great finishing with either hand, getting the ball to the basket from that, you know, from that three-point line area. She can trail and, and play from there and shoot. But then you also have a lot of combinations of fills and throughs with that point guard or engine or racker that he calls them where, you know, they can – it's the old dribble drive type stuff, blur, if you're familiar with the blur screens and stuff like that where you get rubs and all that. We're doing in, – in the old Lola or, or when he was at Oregon, Lola Marymount, he had drag screens between the – what would be the racker and what would be the – what our what we call our raider or in, in – like if you're familiar with Coach Neighbors' terminology, his dragon. And right. we do all of that. And, and then we got – the one-two rub would be – the point or the rack or the engine uh, dribble handoffs with obviously the lock, but on the right side for us, what we do is if we, if we just said we call rocket and laser would be words to initiate. We have words and numbers, words, initiate certain actions. Number. I could tell them the same thing and just to get away from people that want to scout a lot. Rocket can mean the same thing as 12. All 12 is, is a one and two doing a handoff or a blur. And and that's what we do. We do all that in transition, and they go to those spots and field. And we try to play out of a four-out, one-in motion. We coach Hawkins when he's at Winsboro for twenty years. They literally never ran a set play, not against man, not against zone. They ran motion. They ran five-man motion, four-man motion, three-man motion, depending on you know how many post kids they played with. And we're still a big motion team. Now we have the ability to get in horn sets and to run, but as much as possible, we try to come down in transition and get into what. A lot of people now call flow and different actions off of your fast break or your dribble drive motion, you know, and we can run true motion. And what we what I've tried to do is merge once again. You hear that word a lot, but we try to add some concepts of dribble drive motion into motion. I've been in a lot of places where we use a bunch of ball screens. We don't, we didn't use it as much last year. We have the ability to, and that's something I think in year two of our program here, you'll see much more ball screen stuff, but really off that transition break, that's what we're doing. And you talk about drills to do it. I know one thing, if you go watch a coach neighbor's practice, if you went and watched a Paul Westhead practice, there's two things that are similar that happen in those practices. I've never seen a Paul Westhead practice without it. I've never seen a coach neighbor's practice without it. Uh, and they both were called trips. And it's a, right. And the way Paul Westhead would do it, he would do it. He would call them cycles, not trips. But he would literally make two and a half cycles. When a trip is one. The second trip back is two is is two uh, is is down and back is one cycle. Another down and back is two cycles, and that fifth trip would be two and a half cycles. So all five of his kids got to touch the ball, but they're running to their spots, and they could do it either. He would activate it by doing a layup or doing threes, but he would call the shots, and they would do trips on air or cycles on air. Coach Neighbors calls it trips, and he will do trips on air where they're working on air, running their break spots. And the interesting thing that I think you've, we've seen evolve, Coach Neighbors is a pack line man guy. And what they do, they'll run their trips on air, but they always, instead of having it five trips continuous on offense, they'll run a trip down, and then they're sprinting back in transition defense, getting back to their pack line D spots, you know, getting a foot in the right. paint. <clears throat> and, but they'll do – and then they'll go right back, and you've got a ball, and now they're running up the street, across the street. They're running – they're running that break on air, getting used to filling those spots, you know, and, and the drive drift where you drive baseline and kick out to the corner uh, to the lock that's at the corner for the three, or uh, kick it to the lock and a drive, you know, drop off a racket. Anytime he says racket, you know, that's a racket. You're either taking it, getting it to the rim, or if the ball is in a lock's hand, you hear racket. 
but they're doing that in transition. I've literally never been to either one of those two have a practice and not see them do trips or cycles, if you will. So that's something we do almost every day at Winsboro. We we did it every day for, I can tell you, the first 90 days we were here in every practice. We would literally do that to get all. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. All those spots built in, and we did it high school and middle school, just getting them used to the terminology, getting them used to uh, just getting the, in the general area of learning how to recognize and play off that area where it became more of a reaction instead of running to a designated spot. And then obviously we started building that in with defense and, and the best draft picked up in the last five years, coach, we call it Razorback transition because we stole it from Mike neighbors in Arkansas. And it's a, it's a version of what coach, a drill coach Richardson used to do with the Razorbacks 25 years ago. He calls it three team transition. And we do this to build up our transition, but also our break spots. And you can do it five on three you can do it four on three you can do it five on four you can do it however which way you want to do it and you get three teams and they'll play against odd number situations and you just fill those break spots and each kid know you know and it may be a, you you're going on air at the other end you throw up and they get the defensive rebound on their own and you go fill those spots against a team of three on defense down there and you actually keep score and if you want to go to YouTube and look up three-team transition, you'll see uh, Coach Schaefer, Coach Neighbors' assistant coach, he goes through that drill in detail. And there's some there's some other rules built into it. If you're playing against three on defense, the max number of passes you get is three. If you get an offensive rebound, you have to kick it out. And I'm sure you know you like to transition. The highest percentage three-point attempt that you can get is offensive rebound kicked out. So any offensive rebound in this drill has to be kicked out. And – and, you get the amount of passes that you're playing that there is the number of defense. So if it's four on three, offense gets three three passes max, and you got to get a shot up. If it's five on four, you get four passes max, you get a shot up. Same thing on any offensive rebounds, got to be a kick out. And you're obviously looking for kick out threes if you can get them. Uh, so those are the ways, the first two ways we go about teaching our transition and really building it up. Now, one thing we do with all our shooting drills they come from those different break spots that we run to and initiate. And uh, and we have a bunch of different shooting drills, build-up drills that, that are tied into where we end up finishing in our break or in transition, if you will. And then we also do additional – there's two-man, three-man breakdown drills that start with the blur or start with the one-feel or five-feel with, with that racker and that what we call raider, like I said, other people call dragon doing different things where we have a lock on one side or the other and that lock is reading the action and we, we're getting one person's getting a layup to the rim off either a handoff pitch or drag and then we're getting a kick out three and that person that initiates the action after they make the pass or a read, that second person is going to step behind the line to fill a spot and get a three. So those would be the three drills. 
those main two, the trips on air, then like the Razorback transition or three-team transition and doing uh, breakdown drills with three people where you're initiating, where you have a lock and or you have the, the rack or the raider, or you have the racker and what we call our chief, but other people would call the rabbit or rim runner in their break, if that makes sense to you. It makes a lot of sense. Um, we we run a lot of – some people would say, like, we're, we're more more of a system coach. I use a lot of what we call – Doug Porter has a lot of uh, drills that uh, we – we like to press and run. Matter of fact, we don't fall back into defense. We're, we're continuously attacking, uh, but we do it more out of a zone trapping scheme more than anything else. But um, I love how your um, – is your transition drills – and this might be a crazy question – is it more half court? And I know Doug Porter believes it, he does a lot of three-quarter court drills – so it's not as much full court, but he can get the kids kind of um, going back into the lines and so forth, can make it more continuous. They can get more reps in. What do you think about well, that? Coach, I'll give you our holy grail. And first, to go back to that three, the three-team transition is is there's no deep – like once the defense is played and there's a rebound, then it's it, – offenses go to the other end with no no press on a miss. I'll tell you that now what we do, the biggest transition we do, and we'll do this every day for minimum of 10, but usually 15 minutes. I'm sure you're familiar with 11-man break, correct? I Yes, okay, sir. Okay, well, we do 11-man break, but this is where, you know, if you have to follow me for a second because it's different. And if you said this is the one drill that if you only get to do one drill and everything else has to be scrimmage, what's the one drill you're going to do? And if somebody comes, yeah. anybody come watch this practice, they know we're going to do 11-man break. But how we do it is a little bit, different and it's it's full court transition so when we initiate our 11 man break we'll usually do a 15 minute segment but what we do is we break it down into five five minute segments and we go continuous but the first five minutes you will hear 11 press so they know we're in 11 press so that means on any make we're in 11 press 11 press for us would be full court man uh, we call our defense in numbers the first number is always the press the second number is always the half court defense so you know, you're playing three on two. So when they that team comes down, if they score, the other team, they're, not, they're taking the ball out. That that team that just scored, normally in most people's 11-man, well, those three people off the court. Not mm-hmm. not in ours. We're an 11 press. If we're an 11, that means we're at a nine hard. And then we'll try to run and jump once you get the ball in. And we'll do it two different ways. If we call straight 11, they know we're not running jump. We're not trapping. We're just we're, we're really pressuring the ball playing full court man uh if we said 40 press that would be 40 press for us would be a full court diamond and we're on the ball 30 is three quarter court diamond so we could either call we could have a five minute segment of 40 press we could have a five minute segment of 30 press um so we're always pressing on misses make or miss now what they are they automatically know we're in vegas on any miss even in 11 man and the only Vegas is our half court trap, but but on misses, what we do is try to extend it three quarters, or to the line where where the rebounder is. We try to have the top of the press really, whether you want to call it jam, hammer, uh, whatever you want to call or the rebounder. We try to have the, the start of our Vegas press, which is our our normally our half court trap, but that's what we try to get into on misses, and we do that in eleven man every day for fifteen minutes. And we're pressing on every make and every miss, and they play defense to half court. Okay. Sure. The other, now, the other end, 
you know, obviously the three people on offense are going against the three on two at the other end. The other rule we make our the the top defender play outside the three point line, working on initiate stopping the ball. Where we don't, I think the other thing we do a bad job of, is, or I know I did for sure for a long time in coaching, is in transition defense stopping the ball at the free throw line. Well, in today's game, if you let the ball get to the three throw line, you're done. There's going to be so many kick out threes and get the ball to the rim. We really try to make an emphasis a point to try to stop the ball two feet above the three point line. So in turn, we do eleven man break. We never let the top defender be inside the three point line. They've got to be at least two steps out trying to stop that ball. And also, I think it makes for better decision-making offensively in 11-man break because you try to get all these big, long throw-aheads in 11-man and these lazy passes where that aren't realistic to a game. That kid's there. And like I said, that other team's getting pressed to half court. So if they're making that pass, they're, all, all bets are off. That person can break on any pass and go get a steal and get right back in transition the other way. So if you can follow that, it's 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 initial when people come watch, sure. they're like, what is going on here? But for 15 minutes every day, we're going to do 11 man, but we press on every mate, we press on every miss, but we're real big on changing defenses by possession or we'll change a lot. So we go in five minute increments. So if we practice during our athletic period and we practice after school, we're going to get 30 minutes of 11 man and we're going to get six presses in. And people say, there's no way you have six presses. Well, we're going to get in our full quarter zone press. We're going to get in the three-quarter zone press, and we also run some 2-2-1, two, two, and we just call deuce, and they show the top of a 2-2-1. Two, two, Instead of starting at the elbows on the free throw line, they start between inline and elbows. So they just move everything up. And, yeah. and, and so because I learned a long time ago when you press, every trap is a 2-2-1. Two, two, when you get two people on the ball, you got two people playing the next pass, and you've got a goaltender, interceptor, whatever you want to call it. So we're – just practicing a bunch of different ways, getting everything into our defense, getting people used to pressuring the ball, helter-skelter, where it's it looks like mass chaos for most people, but that's the way we practice and play. So for us, it's a sense of normal for us. And I, I think the number one thing I've taken from – if you look at Coach Neighbors' teams every year, and I think it was the case this year, he leads the t- nation in turnover rate. And yet they play at a very high pace, have high-volume possession game. Uh, this year, I think our turnover rate, we finished at 16%. And through the first five games, our turnover rate was at 27. So, really, the last 25 games of the year, we were really good. I know at halftime in the state tournament, we had one turnover. I think we finished with six. Uh, I think the way we play in transition, practice in transition, we're constantly playing against pressure. It's helped us become better ball handlers. I think not only by your true point guard, the people handle the ball, but all people making decisions in who we pass the ball to in certain spots, who we don't, and making good decisions. I think all that leads up. But that's the number one thing we do to emphasize our transition and to get really good at pressing on makes and misses, but also offensively attacking. And we teach to attack. You know, we're not trying to beat pressure, pull out, and go call a set play for you to get your defense set. We're trying to get the ball to the rim. We're trying to get paint touches. We're trying to do – you know, perfect analytical basketball. We're trying to get a layup first, get to the foul line second, and get an open three third. And in turn, defensively, what we're trying to do is, number one, we're trying to keep you from getting a free throw. We're, we're never trying to foul you, and we're trying to run you off the three-point line. We're trying to get you to take as many mid-range shots as possible. I mean, that's that's our two goals. Offensively and defensively, you know, it's, it's a re- straight reverse. We're trying to get layups, free throws, threes, then defensively, eliminate layups eliminate free throws and don't give anybody a catch and shoot three 
And we try to build that into our transition 11 man every day where we just hyper focus on those things. Yeah. I love that drill. If you have a video of that, that'd be great coach. I don't know if you film your practice on that. We'd love to see it. I try to get a video of all the coaches here of their best drills. Um, But I love that. I, I totally agree. I think your best practices are not necessarily your smoothest and they look the best. There's a lot of chaos, right? So it's not about looking good in practice. Coach, you're right, and I learned that. Like I said, when I was a sophomore in high school, I got to see, got to meet Nolan Richardson when I was a junior in high school. I got to come down and see my first two practices, and I'll never forget the first thing I learned is uh, I saw four yellow buckets put at the corner of each of the floor. This is at the University of Arkansas, Coach Richardson, and he brought them out himself. He dragged a yellow trash can in each corner. <laughs> and I'm, at the time, I'm not thinking anything. And, you know, I, and I, in my mind, even then, every college practice had to be at least two and a half hours. Our high school practices were three hours long. And they came out and they practiced for an hour and 15 minutes. And there's about four different people. I got to see three of the four trash cans utilized. And it wasn't for trash. It was for uh, people to lose their lunch and get right back to the <laughs> practice floor. Right. And for literally 75 minutes, I'll never forget it was over. It was 75 minutes long. They didn't stop moving, running. The first 20 minutes involved a medicine ball and running and transition. And they never touched the basketball for 20 minutes. And it was two different types of medicine balls. Even when they did shell, shell defense was medicine ball. It was not a basketball. And, and I took from there, that practice was total chaos. Uh, it was harder than any game you'll ever play. It was probably harder than, any workout we would be allowed to give a kid in today's world of running and uh, physical contact, just going helter skelter for 75 minutes. And I took from that, that practice needs to be way harder than any game. Uh, and, and the more I've learned and the more I've went and watched coaches, I think coach neighbors will tell you uh, practice chaos. I know he's big on this quote and I don't know who he got it from, but practice chaos equals game calmness. And, and there's a lot to that. And if somebody comes and watches our practice, uh, with several people come watch this practice this year, we had, uh, before we played in the regional tournament, I remember we had two coaches come watch this practice. And one of them I'd played against. She used to be a very good player, one of the local high schools right here. And she said, Coach, you're telling me this is how y'all practice all this stuff y'all used to do to us? She said, kids love practicing this way. You know, we're practicing with music and we're having fun. And it's it's basically just press and run offense is getting to go, go up down the court and either take a layup and transition or kick out and shoot a three or kick out and dump it down to a post and defense we're trying to funnel the ball and get it out of the middle and we're trying to trap it and rotate and so like this is fun this is i said you know we mix in some shooting drills and i said yeah, you're looking at it it's about i'm not very smart it's all i know to do and you turn into a game shield but in a game it looks like total like or, or everything looks organized. I said, well, you know, and I think that's the biggest the biggest compliment I get from if you watch one of our teams play is they they just say y'all are just playing. They think you're literally just the old adage, you're rolling the balls out and playing. And we are rolling the balls out and playing. But it takes a lot of hard work and practice from our kids of that mass chaos to get it to look organized. And you're a running coach yourself. You know, you have appreciation for – how rough it looks at times in practice, especially when you start that build up to make it look like a smooth operating machine. But I think that the smoother you get, it probably means you went through even more chaos 
and just the practice of making it so much harder, putting your team at a deficit than you ever see in a game to make it look like you have some organization and more smooth in a game, or at least that's my experience. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's working. I mean, you have proven it. The numbers prove it, uh, that that type of system works. Um, and it, What's hard for a lot of coaches, don't you agree, Robert? It's lack of control. You're basically giving up control to your players, which I think in the long run is always the best way. Yeah, and I'll go back to I've mentioned Coach Hawkins' his name a few times. As a matter of fact, he's supposed to go into the Texas Association of Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame this summer, obviously with the current situation that's getting canceled. But he's going into the Hall of Fame, and the one thing he talks about when – Coaches who come watch him, he still gets people asking him all the time, hey, will you come watch this practice, come work with us? And he said, I will, but you have to agree to one thing first before I'm going to come do it. You have to give up control. And he says, not to me, but you have to trust yourself that you're a good enough coach, that you will coach your kids well enough that you're going to let them make decisions and play basketball. He said, I will help you teach them to play basketball. He said, but I'm wasting my time and yours if you want me to come work with you and you want to you want to call 400 plays and you want to control wherever pass is coming from and where everything defensively where you know, you know, because everything's built off reacting to what you see. And I think luckily for me, uh, I started off this way where I didn't have control. I, I, you know, kids were going to take shots. Uh, kids are going to make decisions. If you're running jump, if you're pressing, you got to trust your kids to make decisions. Because you can't have them think they got to play off instincts, and, and you and I both know if you get kids running half speed and worried about making a mistake, and that's another thing that goes back into that rotation. I'm not pulling kids for a mistake here or there. We're going to play off rotation. You're going to get your two or three minutes, play as hard as you can play, and learn and eliminate those mistakes. Uh, I think that is the holy grail in coaching: is trusting yourself to be a good enough coach that you allow your kids to make good decisions on the court, and you allow them to be the decision makers. Because really, a good player should be just an extension of what they're coached to do. And I've had some good friends that have hard times giving up that control. And I asked them, I said, you're a good coach, right? Yeah. I said, you work hard at it, right? Correct. You put a lot of time into it, right? Your assistants are good coaches. So who is it on your staff or what is it about yourself that you don't trust, that you won't let your kids go out and make those decisions? Because that's really all you're at. you've got to give up. It's – and. You know what? You're still going to give a layup to the course of the game, whether you press, whether you play half-court man. Some, I, I've yet to play a game where we don't give up a layup or offensive putback. I've yet to play a game that I coach in that we don't make a bad pass or turn it over at least once. So let some of that stuff go. Trust yourself. Trust your kids. That will, their willingness to be coached and make good decisions. And I think teams will grow from that. I know I've seen our teams grow. And, and like I said, it's not even credit to me. It's really more of a credit to the kids we have and their ability to take good coaching, be smart, be coachable, and go out and execute. And uh, I know I was very fortunate to come in here and have kids that can do that, and I've been fortunate in all the places I've been that we've had good kids, and I've had a, I've put enough trust trust in them that I know they make good decisions because I think they believe they're they're well coached, they're well prepared. Does it, you know, do we make mistakes in our daily life? Sure. Well, we better expect our kids to make a few, but. To me, that's not a reason why we don't give them more responsibility and more options to make decisions. Yeah, that's great wisdom. <laughs> I mean, you know, if any coach gets something from this podcast, that's that that's great advice right there, Coach. Um, and I, I know I, I've taken up a lot of your time and so far. I just got a couple more questions for you. I really want to want you to talk about um, how do you maximize effort because 
you're running an effort system. You better get effort. How do you maximize your kids' effort and practice? Give me a few examples or traditions that you guys do at Winsboro to maximize effort. Well, number one, you're right. We can't play the, the system, the style that we are playing if we don't get maximum effort. And I will, I will tell you this. One way we maximize effort, and it's another thing I've learned from coaches, and I was the world's worst, is all these counting on every drill we do to make shots. I, when I first started coaching, I hated it. And I'll be honest, it's still to this day on some things we do, on some drills we do, I hate it, but I've turned everything we do into a competition. If we're doing a shooting drill and there's two teams going, we're keeping score and we know who wins and loses. And you know if you won or you know if you lost. And and I can tell you the way we maximize effort is to try to not have a grade, but have a competition. Somebody wins, somebody loses. So somebody finished first, somebody finished last. And I know in today's world, that's not always popular in the, the days of everybody gets a trophy and everybody gets a pat on the back. And, and, and that's the way we maximize effort. And I, I tell you a good example of this is, you know, we, to, we still do some just straight out conditioning. We don't do a lot of it, but we'll put the balls up and we'll do some conditioning where we have to make certain times. And within making those certain times, one way we maximize effort is we know in a group with our varsity kids, we have 10 kids on varsity at the end and those, that group conditions together. Well, we know who the fastest is. We know who the 10th fastest is. So anytime it comes in any other order, we finish in any other order, we're not giving maximum effort, then, and then that's an issue. And I remember the week we're going to play in the regional tournament, we're doing uh, conditioning on a Wednesday for a Friday game, and our 10th fastest kid finished in the top eight in, in the first three times we ran. And so when we finished running, then things got straightened up, but when we finished running, I said, now we got these three to do again. And I'm not a big punishment guy. I don't – I believe in get your work done. And they – and our team captain asked, she said, Coach, we're going to do it, obviously, but what did we do wrong? And I, and I said, our, I said, Faith is our – we know who's the slowest person in here, her. Who should be last in every drill we do when it comes to running, her. I said, she finished in the top eight. I said, that's great for Faith. But that means we got some – there's two of you, and it doesn't matter if it's the best player or the worst player. we got to have maximum effort at all times. And that's one way to specifically measure it. But I try to measure it more in our drills and everything we do where we keep score. And I got – once again, a thief from my neighbors. And when he, when they do drills, when they do shooting drills, when they do – anytime they scrimmage, anytime they do a shooting drill, there's a winner and a loser. There's somebody on the winning team, somebody on the losing team, and we keep up with our wins and losses. And each kid, we have a deal where they go in and they mark, and I can sit there and look. One thing I haven't mentioned that's the most important thing you could do is I have four great managers at Winsboro, and I get more data from them, from high school kids that keep score of our drills, keep records of our different shooting drills, keep record of our wins and losses, who was on the winning team, who was on the losing team. And we try to hold that accountable to the the maximum effort. And you know what is amazing is, Probably our two or three hardest working kids, they're not – two of them are not our best two basketball players, but they're part of the groups that have the most – throughout the year we went back and looked, and they're part of the group. We did it week to week that had the most wins. And you can't tell me that that doesn't rub off. It's not contagious to whatever team they were playing on. It doesn't matter if it was a shooting drill or running drill or a scrimmage drill, that those kids that give you the maximum effort, that it rubs off to kids around them. And obviously if you have your best kid playing – 
playing the hardest, uh, it's much more easy to hold people accountable. And I've been very fortunate here in that we do that. But you're exactly right. We are in a system and play a style. If you don't get maximum effort, you can't do it. And it can't just come from your best two kids or just can't come from the bottom of your roster. It has to be one through 10 or one through 20. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. Well, whatever you're playing, if you're not getting it in practice, you're not going to get it in a game. And that's probably up until even the last three or four years, Coach, I have not been a very good coach at that. And I have started – I mean, we all, we almost keep scoring who gets on the floor first. Who can get sure. dressed first? Who, yeah. I mean, everything. It's a competition because I thought the one thing when I came here that it dropped off in the nine years from when Coach Hawkins retired is just this competition level that if if we're playing a game of horse, we don't we don't want to lose. I don't. I, I've yet to meet the person that is a good loser that is a that is a good competitor. And sure, do we have to be classy in losing? I'm not saying any of that, but you know, it's got to be a competition. We got to want to win at everything we do. Now, obviously, you have to hold things into, you know, I guess hold each other accountable and still use common sense about it. But I think if you're not doing that in your practice and you're not doing that in your drills, even the shooting drills, I can tell you right now, I can tell you our kids and some we do, we call it Razorback shooting. Coach Neighbors calls it Maryland shooting. And we have different time periods that we'll do that drill for. They can tell you for each time period what the record is. And now if we go out and do that drill today, they're going to start when we start before we start the clock. We're trying to beat 27. We're trying to beat 27. If we're, we're trying to beat 32, knowing on how much time. And I think that's helped me know that we, how bad a job I did probably the first several years I coached that I wasn't already doing that, whether it's a drill, whether it's conditioning, whether it's a scrimmage, making sure they know time score and know who wins and loses. And because we'll put so much emphasis on that in a game. But if we're not doing that throughout the practice week, if we're not doing that throughout offseason, we're probably not doing the best job we can do as coaches of teaching that kid how to compete and get the most out of what they have to give. Yeah, and you're teaching them why, right? I mean, um, and I know something that – and I know you do this too. I call – our players call timeouts during, during – and usually after a drill, we always have a review, and we ask the kids, you know, why did you win? Why did you lose? To me – that's so important. You want to know what's going on in their head. Hey, why'd you guys lose? It's amazing, Robert. They always come up with great feedback. They know what they're not doing. They know what they're doing to win. Um, do you think enough coaches do that? No, I obviously don't. And that's another one that I was guilty of. And, you know, I should have learned from my mom. Because uh, <laughs> I, I can remember losing a few battles to the belt because I didn't want to learn how I got the answer in algebra. Or how I got the the uh, the uh, uh, problem done math wise. I didn't want to show my work. I didn't care why. I just wanted to get the right answer. And my mom explained to me every time why the why was important. And I now, I guess kids kids finally were able to hold me accountable. At some point, it changed. When I first started coaching, you told a kid to jump. They said how high. You told a kid to do this, and they just did it. 
if we're all calling a spade a spade in today's world, that doesn't work that way. You got to be able to show a kid or show a parent. They better not only know what's good for them, but they need to understand why No, And if you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to discuss it. You're right. You're not getting the most out of your kids, but, and I know these kids here I have are very smart. And when they learn the why and know the why, they can start fixing it within the drill before we ever get into the game. Right. And we were going to be a poor offensive, we were going to be a poor rebounding team. We had one kid that's six foot, everybody else is five, eight or shorter. We knew rebounding was going to be an issue. So we did a bunch of different things, even in our 11 man break, where we kept up with rebounds and we kept up with. Our, I had a junior kid that's one of the smartest kids I've ever coached and the best leader I've ever coached. And she comes to me, she says, Coach, I know we need to keep scoring the rebounds, but you said we got to make contact. We got to hit first. So what about if one of our managers, she said, what if they keep up with who hits first in each group? And if that group, if one group, I was like, you know what? I said, Gump, you're brilliant. That's yeah. We're we're worried about getting a rebound. Well, what gives us the rebound making contact first? Well, maybe we need to try to track that and have that be a competition too. And lo and behold, we start having a contest in everything we do when a shot goes up to go find that person and make physical contact with them. And what do you know, four weeks later and nine games later, we're averaging about five or six more rebounds a game. And then it made, and it was, I would love to tell you I was smart to do it as a coach, but no, it comes from a kid and being, being competitive and understanding the why and even taking that why to a deeper level of where we lost a game or two early because we got killed on the boards. Well, okay. We're going to address that and everything we do practice wise in every drill. Well, a kid is smart enough even beyond our uh, us coaches to say, well, yeah, that's the why we need to do that, but maybe we need to even track the the most important thing you said is hit first. If that's the most important thing, maybe we can at least get that part fixed. And I'm like, you know what? And that's where I would I would love to lie and tell you the first 10 years I coached, I'd have took that. The first 10 years I coached, I would have said, I'm doing this drill. We're doing this drill. Don't need your input. You're a player. I'm the coach. And I have learned, uh, and I learned that probably from watching Chip Kelly at Oregon and and being around Paul Westhead, some of interaction with players and listening. And it doesn't matter whose idea it is. It doesn't matter if it's a player's. It doesn't matter if it's a student manager. It doesn't matter if it's the guy working in the bakery where you eat every Wednesday. If they've got a good idea and it's going to make your team or program better, why not find a way to utilize it or initiate it? And And that's what I'm much better at, and that's a specific – thing that happened on this year's team that I, 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 you know I'm still learning as a coach and I'm like man it's, it's amazing I still learn more from kids today than I do anybody else and, that, and that's a good example where I've probably been hard hit as a coach and yet this kid makes our team better and that's probably the difference in us getting to a state tournament versus losing in the regional semifinal. Coach that's a great point because I'm just thinking here I mean um, you know I know I'm getting older that's father time and they're getting the same age. <laughs> so we, we have to figure out ways to connect, man, because I'm not getting any younger. And they're not, I mean, basically, they're, they're the same. They're always going to be the same ages. I like, right. I like how you're kind of trying to come down to their level. Not really come down, but actually trying to connect. That's important today. Yes, and, you know, if people don't have ownership, it didn't, you can have great kids and great people, and they're going to try. But if they don't have true ownership, you're going to have, you're going to set a certain ceiling on what you're going to get from them. Uh, my experience when everybody has true ownership, it doesn't matter if it's basketball or if you're working at a, uh, as a plumber, if you're working in a lumber yard, 
when you have ownership of the final product and what you're responsible for and you're part of that team or whatever it is you're doing, you're going to pull the rope that much harder. You're going to yeah. initiate that much effort. And that's probably the number one thing I've learned in, in, in whatever you're doing, that, whether it's basketball, tiddlywinks, it doesn't matter. And I, you're right. I think I've stepped back and learned. I've got to do a better job connecting with kids and making sure every year we give them ownership. You know, and like I said, I've, co- I've coached in state tournaments. I've been fortunate to win a state championship with team. I want these kids to do that. And if you can't make sure they have ownership and where they have like a vested interest, I don't think you're ever going to get to that point. I don't care how talented, how good you are and whatever it is you do or how the talented people you work around, if you don't give them ownership, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, and that's hard to do for young coaches. So, I mean, that's, for those young coaches that are listening on that, take take Robert's advice, man. I think mean, you can really get – you'll start connecting with your players better. Coach, my last question is this. What resources does Robert Cochran use to improve his craft? Uh, help out, particularly a young coach, right now, because they're always looking for better ways. What, what resources do you use, for example, Huddle, I love Huddle, uh, to improve your craft? Well, one a huddle, I'll, I'll give you one right now. It's pulled up on my computer screen right now. It's called pickandpop.net. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but uh, he also has a U- YouTube uh, page of a bunch of different basketball stuff. It's I don't want to butcher his name, but Zach Bosbart, he is a assistant coach, I believe now, for Army. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he has a website, uh, and I've actually shared it with a few coaches that could not believe the wealth of, of the breadth, the how deep it runs on it's, it's literally pickandpop.net. Uh, you can go to it, and if you're a coach, you you will thank me later if you're not familiar with it. Uh, it is amazing everything you can find on there. Uh, uh, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm also a big YouTube guy, just following different YouTube and Twitter. Uh, I follow uh, a bunch of different people that have from skill development to, to basketball immersion to half court hoops that give a bunch of, you know, just basketball breakdown uh, st- stuff. And you you can never stop learning. Uh, uh, that's the, the number one tool is probably pickandpop.net and then some YouTube people and uh, Twitter people that I follow and you, you can go, uh, I've got a Twitter where I've got the different, I've got it broke down. You go to my basketball high school hoops. I got different lists on, I use the echo phone version of Twitter to on my phone and you can break it down into lists. You can go to my list and see who I follow. And it's basically about every, it's a bunch of different college basketball, pro basketball, skill development people, uh, and come across just always reading and learning. And I think we, we, as coaches, we a lot of times, well, if I'm a fast break or I'm a pressure guy, the only thing I want to look up and find out about is fast break and pressure. Now, I can tell you the last five, six years, I spent more time studying pack line man, uh, different things offensively that people do, hollow, buna, things that I'm going to come across and have to play against. So, to me, the best way you can stop somebody is if you know what they're doing and you know what they're trying to do. And I don't think uh, we always do a good enough job in, in, in coaching with our, I know like football, coach football forever. Spread coaches want to go learn about more spread coaches. 
guys that play four three on defense want to go visit with different people about four three on defense. Well, to me, I always want to learn what everybody else is doing too, so I can be as knowledgeable as possible. Since I don't run that or do that, I've got to make myself, you know, more familiar with it. And the only way to do that, I believe, is to go look and study it. And and that's one thing that um, I have done uh, to try to improve and, and try to stay up to date. And I still do that to this day. Yeah, I mean, you're you're always learning. Uh, and coach, do you um, do you take teams from, from your teams that you play against? And I'm sure you steal different things that other teams do well against you. I know I do. Um, whether that's an out of bounds play, whether that's um, how they warm up, whatever, are you stealing from your opponents? Oh, coach, that's and, and you mentioned huddle. So this is what I came up with this year on huddle. Uh, I'm very fortunate I'm at a school where we can get breakdown stuff. We can get unlimited breakdowns from even the, from our scout film. And so what I what I did is I start going and look at their points per possession and look at their different the way things are tagged. And I know I started noticing a team and uh, just because we play against them and I don't want to get just a team that we play against. And I started recognizing, man, their points possession on baseline out of bounds is like 1.25. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. I, said, I, I get four or five more games. I said, is this just a one game deal? Cause this, you know, and I get about eight more games and it's man and zone. It doesn't matter. And they're about 1.1, 1.2 on points per possession. Right. Because well, I'm not a hard head. I said, okay, that's here. We're going to sit here and look at some of this stuff. So yeah, I constantly still matter of fact this year, you know, everybody has a different fast break off of a free throw that, we used to do when I was in high school, and I haven't used that in a while. Well, I come across a team, matter of fact, a team that I don't think they've lost a game in a year or two, and they're using it on free throws, and they're now not only doing it for the, you know, corner corner three at the end of it, but they're doing it with the catch, dribble, handoff into a ball screen continuity. I'm like, but they're just roasting people on, and we end up playing them later, and they roast us on it, and I know they're going to do it. <laughs> I said, well, you know what? It's good enough for them, and they can kill us on it. We'll so yes to your answer yes and uh what i have found is i'm going i'm still going through our huddle now with all this extra time we have and i'm actually going through not only teams we played but some of these playoff teams that you get film against where i'm looking at just breakdown stuff and looking at points per possession but now i'm going back and looking at some of the people defensively and their points per possession and and some of the common denominators and it doesn't matter if it's zone or man you, you see people that are good on defense they really pressure the ball and they really keep the ball. They get somebody in help and keep the ball away from the rim. It, uh, and it doesn't – we have that debate, zone versus man, all day long. But basically it doesn't matter if it's zone or man. They're really pressuring the ball. They're really good at getting help to the ball before it gets to the paint. Just little things like that. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mention it. And I think more about it offensively. But uh, I started this study about a week ago defensively looking at some of the better teams we played on points per possession. I start finding out. I've looked at about 16 so far and three on play predominant man, three on play predominant zone and their points per possession are at 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7. They're right there about the same. And I'm like, get further into it and they don't foul a lot and they keep the ball out of the paint. Well, imagine that, you know, so it, 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 it is, uh, it's a good tool to use, but no, I'm definitely, like I said, I'm, I'm not a very good coach, but I am top 1% on thief and stealing good ideas from people. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you you have to do it, particularly these days, Robert, right? If you're not, if you don't have huddle these days, man, you're way behind the curve. I hate to say that, 
Uh, it's an investment, man, but it really helps your coaches out big time. Well, I'll take that a step further. And I told a, I told a friend, a very good friend of mine, that he'd just been sitting his ways for a long time. And he, I said, if you don't have huddle assist, you're you're not doing it right. You're 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 you're, you're, you're cheating yourself because I don't see how you, you know, knowledge is power. You have more knowledge and you have more information, uh, just by huddle and huddle assist when. You can get a breakdown, and you see every shot you've taken, every shot they've taken, and where it comes from, and every turnover, and every – it's helped us with our player development. I'll tell you, just uh, – one thing we do after every game, every every one of our kids sees all their turnovers. They see all their assists. Right. As a, as a team, they see our team – turn. they see all our turnovers as a team and as an assist. And um, we got to the point, I think uh, – it was a record for any team I've coached in 22 years. I think we ended up averaging 17 or 18 assists, which at the high school level is not bad better than most teams I've had. Yeah, it's very good. And we averaged right at, we got it down to, I think, 13.5 turnovers. You know, we'd like to get it under 12, but and but we look at every one of those individually. They get an individual cut up of that that is personal to them. And we watch film as a team. The one thing we look at is we look at three things. Every, we look at turnovers, we look at assists, and then we look at the offensive rebounds we give up. Because to you know, with the, the us that was just going to be a big thing we had to harp on, and we were going to you know say are they coming from lack of effort? Are they coming from out of position? Are they coming from not hitting first? But those three things we did, and, and without huddle assist specifically, I mean, I could sit here and lie to you and tell you I'm going to get that done. But you and I both know we get in tournament season, we get games. There's no way to get all that clipped up and do it with one no. person or even two people. No. But huddle assist makes that possible and you can actually give your kids feedback before they get to practice the next day so it's it's hard to argue with so but no that that is pickandpop.net and his name is zach bosberg if you don't do anything else you can go get that to be a like a black hole you can fall into this afternoon anytime when you have time if you want to get into all things basketball whether it's skill development breakdown motivation quotes whatever it is you're looking for you can find it Coach, thanks for sharing. I'm definitely going to check it out, and um, I'm going to try to get the guy who runs it, probably get him on the podcast, man. I'm always trying to expand. Oh, he would be great. He would be great. And follow, get, you find him on YouTube where he'll give you some – he'll give you audio over a breakdown that he does. Yeah. Uh, he is one of the best in the business, and, I mean, he is – it's awesome, the stuff he, he's provided. So that, I would love to hear that podcast, and I appreciate you having me today. Also, i, I got to listen to Coach Payne and – all these different guys in Texas that you've had on. I can't wait to – I've got a full week ahead of me being able to listen and catch up with all those guys. Yeah, I, I, I saved the best for last, right, Robert? No, I won't lie to you. <laughs> I, just, I, I feel blessed and honored that you would even consider having me uh, with some of the people you've had on, but it's been a blast. And thank you again for everything you're doing, sharing the game and growing the game. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, being transparent, talking about your program. How can listeners get a hold of you if they want to contact you, you know, maybe about your transition or your drills? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, my email at the school is robert.cochran, C-O-C-H-R-A-N, at winsboroisd.org. Or anytime you want to give me a call, text, whatever, my number is 903 278 Three four eight two. Uh, everybody's been, always been so helpful for me. Uh, anything I can ever do to help anyone, I'll help them any way I can. Feel free to reach out, call, come by, see practice. Anything we do, uh, we have no secrets. It's not very. It's pretty 
pretty simple, and I love sharing the game just as like I enjoy you doing the same thing. So anything we can do to help, we would be more than happy to. Yeah, Robert, thanks so much, man. Hey, try to get me a video if you have that 11, man. And also, if you have Coach Hawkins' number, I would love to get him on the podcast if he's good for that. Yeah, I sure will. I'll get that to you. Thank you. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.